0: God is good. Amen. 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 Mm. Who wants to hear the word of God? Woo! All right. Um, still turn your Bibles to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. If you're fairly new to our church, we believe that this book is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And because it's God-breathed, 2 Timothy 3.16, because these are the very words of God, we believe that every word is authored for our good. And because of that, we don't take any phrase, sentence, preposition, word for granted. That's why we go through the entire book. So if you're joining us, uh, or have started to join us, we're in the middle of the book of John before we begin, John chapter 9, we're just going to read the entire chapter, because the entire chapter is one story. Before we begin, I wanted to tell you all that, raise your hand if you ever, in high school, if you had like a homeroom. Does anybody have a homeroom? You usually went there because they needed to give you something or count something. If it was like Apollo High School in Owensboro, Kentucky, you didn't usually hang out with your homeroom people. In fact, you weren't in normal classes with your homeroom people. In fact, you could go to your homeroom and that'd be the only time you ever saw those people. Is that how it was with y'all? Yeah. Well, I was stuck with all the T's, because I'm Todd. And uh, I was in Mr. Tucker's. Uh, he was our ag teacher. In the state of Kentucky, we, at one point we had like the largest FFA chapter in the entire state. That's, where, that's the kind of school I've been to. Um, and he was the ag teacher. And I remember it was always a disorderly class. He could never really remember what he needed to tell us. It was always kind of just, it was mass confusion in the class. But I remember I always sat next to a blind kid. And his name was Matthew Thompson. Todd Thompson. And Matthew, he was always in a good mood. The blind kid. Always in a good mood. Never saw him in a bad mood. I remember several things. I remember where he used to live. He lived out in the sticks of Davis County. Uh, He loved Metallica. I just remember that. He loved music. If you know a blind person, any if you know a blind person at all meaningfully, that's not uncommon. He just had an ear for music. He was always listening to music. The teachers let him listen to music, but he was always friendly. He talked to everyone, and I remember this because I was—I don't, I don't want to say that I was a super pretentious in high school, but I was a pretty worldly person in high school. I cared a lot about people, what people thought. I was was in the rat race. I wanted to be popular. I cared about my reputation. I liked girls, and I really cared if they liked me. Matthew didn't care about that. And I remember that because there were days where I really didn't want to be in homeroom. There were days where I was in a bad mood, caring about something that I've forgotten a hundred times over. But I remember how kind Matthew was. Always To everyone. And the reason that comes up is because we're getting ready to read a story where, ironically, Jesus uses a blind guy to show everyone else how blind they are. And I remember thinking, in fact, I can look back at hindsight now and look back to Matthew Thompson and go, you know... Matthew was the only one in our school that did not have physical sight. But yet, I'm pretty sure he saw more clearly than any one of us in the room. That is very obvious to me now. And when we read this, I want you to remember that blindness is not a matter of the eyes, it's a matter of the heart. And that's a message that I think Jesus hammers home very clearly this morning as we're going to read in John chapter 9. So if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit says, As he passed by, Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but it is, he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He says, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What did you say about him? What do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So parents kind of thrown their son under of the bus there. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, "...whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see." They said to him, "...what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes?" He answered them, "...I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples?" And they reviled him, saying, "...you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses." We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. Do you not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Mm. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see... May become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, "Are we also blind?" Jesus said to them, "If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now, what you now that you say we see, your guilt remains." Let's pray. Father, there's so much here that you've given us. You've given for the good of our souls. Father, we want to eat meat. We want to know and we want to have our eyes open. Father, I pray that You send Your Holy Spirit this morning so that we may understand what it means to truly see. Father, Jesus says that blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Father, that is our prayer this morning. Amen. Y'all can be seated. let up on the guy. <laughs> Instead of rejoicing in the miracle, the Pharisees are relentlessly badgering this dude. And this guy's like, look, I have told you already. Jesus healed me. He spit, made mud, healed my eyes. What's not to believe? The Pharisees will absolutely not accept the fact that Jesus just did what He just did. And this guy's like, this ain't rocket science. I'm going to tell you one more time. I see. I was blind. Now I see. The irony of this passage is that in giving sight to this blind man, Jesus reveals how blind everyone else is. The disciples think that this man is suffering because someone sinned. The Pharisees refuse to believe it even though it's right in front of their eyes. And the guy's parents are like throwing the guy under the bus because they're afraid of man and not God. When this passage begins, this man is blind and everyone else can see. By the end of the passage, we realize that it wasn't the man without sight who couldn't see. It was everyone else. This morning, I want to make this point from our text. Blindness is not a matter of the eyes. It is a matter of the heart. The first thing Jesus teaches His disciples is there is not always a direct cause and effect relationship between suffering and sin. In the way that we conceive of it. Now, let me be clear. There is agony, there is disease, there is brokenness, there is blindness, there's death because Adam sinned and we live in a fallen world. But what Jesus is teaching his disciples is there's not always an immediate cause and effect between someone sinning or someone suffering and the fact that they sinned. The disciples look at this man and assume that somebody sinned. He's blind, therefore, it must be somebody's fault but Jesus says that's nonsense. Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Did y'all just catch that? I'm going to read it one more time. Verse 3, don't miss it. Jesus answered, It wasn't that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. To me, just, just think about that for a second. Just let those words sink in. God will afflict you in order to show His glory in you. Amen. Amen. Raise your hand if you drew closer to Jesus in a season of your life that was really, really difficult. You can thank God for it. And it wasn't by mistake, and it wasn't just that God allowed it to happen. God can and does afflict His very own people to show His glory in His people for their good. It took me a long time to figure that one out. As Christians, that just makes us indestructible. We have the hope and the confidence that God will work all things for our good, even from the bad things. God sending calamity upon His people so that their eyes would be opened is not a new concept in the Bible. Job chapter 42. How many people read the book of Job? It's a long book. Job chapter 42, verses 5 through 6. God sends evil and destruction and death upon the house of Job. And this is what Job has to say at the very end. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. God opened Job's uh, Job's eyes through suffering. God afflicts His people in order to show His glory to and through His people. What I'm saying is this. What Jesus is saying is this. God created this man blind from birth so that Christ could heal him and God could show His glory in him. Jesus is healing this man's physical blindness in order to heal his spiritual blindness. It's absolutely critical this morning, if we're going to understand John chapter 9, to understand this. Verse 3 is not the climax of this passage. The climax is verses 35 through 38. I'm going to read them. Here's the climax. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Here it is. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. That's the point. That's the climax. That's, the, that's, that's the, the one thing we need to walk away from. This man was blind, and now he's a God worshiper. God created this man blind so that he would one day worship his healer and his redeemer. The good news of John chapter 9 is not just that Jesus simply healed a man born blind. The good news of John chapter 9 is that Jesus turned a man's hardened heart into a God-honoring, Jesus-loving, God-worshipping heart. That means in order to show his glory, To us and in us. God can take away your job in this life. God can take away your health in this life. God can take away your home in this life. And in the end, when you reach glory in heaven, you'll actually thank God for it. Because in the end, it means you got down on your knees. You trusted in Him more. You loved Jesus more. You treasured Him. And then you came to see your need for Christ. God afflicts His people in order to show His glory to and through His people. Here's a question. I want y'all to think about this in your mind. Josh, you don't have to. You don't have to respond out loud if you don't want. Where in the Bible is the greatest proof that we have that God will afflict His own children to bring about good? What do you think? What'd you say? Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. God the Father poured out His holy wrath upon His innocent, blameless, pure Son in order to save wretched sinners. He took the worst of the in human history, and now we come and worship and remember it every single Sunday. You worked it for good. This man was created blind so that one day he could worship Jesus and God is not above sending affliction in your own life to do the exact same thing. Don't waste your suffering. I just copied that from John Piper. Copy a lot. Um, There's an incredible amount of arrogance to look upon a guy that's blind and assume it's someone's fault. I mean, that's just an arrogant question to ask Jesus. Hey, Jesus, whose fault is it that He's blind? Well, He was born blind, so it couldn't be His fault. Think about how that would affect the amount of grace that they showed that man. Think about how often we withhold grace from people because we automatically assume that they've created their own problems and they're just getting what they deserve. I was... Our house was flooded uh, two years ago. Yesterday, I think my life stopped. I couldn't. I couldn't go to work because couldn't even get out of my own neighborhood. It destroyed. I mean, basically everything four feet up to four feet. Just we just gutted. No more kitchen. No more bathrooms. My life, Kelly and the twins had to go up to Kentucky for three months, didn't see my family, cleaning things. And it wasn't even river water. It was like sewage water that just came into I mean, it was just awful. But school didn't stop. So after the water went down, I had to go back to school. I remember driving to a a, a night class. And obviously I was in a really, really poor mood. Um... I was, I was broken in a lot of ways. And I remember I was really short with one of my classmates. I don't even remember what it was about. I was a jerk to him. I, I, it was something I said. And I'll never forget what he did. I, I called him out in the middle of class. In, in the doctoral department, it's not, you're basically in a, in a circle. And I remember what he did. You know what he did? He gave me the benefit of the doubt. He went and extended grace to me because he came up to me afterwards and said, You know, man, you're going through a horrible time. And I can't imagine what it's like. And I just want to know, I just want you to know I forgive you. I'm like, what this world would be like if we all did that and gave people the benefit of the doubt. See, what he did was he stepped over into my life and went, Oh wow, things are awful. Hey, you're good. And all that takes to love somebody sometimes is just to empathize with them. See, no one did that when they were walking by the blind guy that went, It must be somebody's fault. Nobody stopped to go, man, I can't even imagine what it would be like to come out of the womb and not see. Friends, that is the empathy and love and understanding that we're called to lavish upon sinners because that is the love we were shown in Christ when the Son of God took flesh and walked among us, became us, and understood what it's like. Amen. This is a, a quote by John Calvin. I, I, had, to, I had to use it because it is so true about humans. While every man is ready to censor I think I put it up there. I don't know if I did or not. While every man is ready to censor others with extreme bitterness, there are few who apply to themselves as they ought to do the same severity. If my brother meets with adversity, I instantly acknowledge the judgment of God. But if God jas- chastises me with a heavier stroke, I wink at my own sins. But in considering punishments, every man ought to begin with himself and to spare himself as little as any other person. In other words, we look at someone else's adversity and we go, man, they just get what they deserve. And then suddenly we're having our own adversity and it's just bad luck. Jesus Christ says sometimes it's neither. It's just the sovereign hand of God working for His good. Six times, I counted in this passage how many times somebody says the word "how." Six. How were your eyes opened? Verse fifteen. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received sight. Verse sixteen. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Verse nineteen. Is this your son? Who do you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Verses twenty-one through twenty. Twenty through twenty-one. His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Verse twenty-six. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? How, 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 how? This guy's like, same answer, Jesus. These folks cannot figure out how this guy sees, and it's right in front of their eyes. Jesus healed him. Blindness is not a matter of the eyes, it is a matter of the heart. Willie just read one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Verse 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, In this case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. To be truly blind in this world is to be blind to the gospel of the glory of Christ. That means if you went one day this week, if you went one day without being ravished with the supremacy and the beauty and the goodness and the purity of Jesus Christ, then you are still wiping the scales from your eyes. If we saw Jesus as He is, we would never cease to praise Him. That means someone could read the Bible and understand the words in a passage, but if you don't see the glory of Jesus, you're still blind. Someone could come to church every single day. Someone could dare be a pastor like me and actually be employed by the church. But if they're not serving the body because of the beauty of Jesus Christ, they're still blind. Someone could actually evangelize to other people, as weird as that is, and do it for the wrong reasons because they're not doing it because they're enraptured with Jesus. To be truly blind in this world is to be blind to the gospel of the glory of Christ. I think what's most staggering about this passage is the Pharisees know the scriptures very well. The Pharisees know the people of God very well, but they don't know the beauty of Jesus Christ and Jesus says you're blind. So the best question to ask somebody to figure out if you're blind is not, do you go to church? The best question to ask someone is, how sweet is Jesus to you? How precious and good and holy is Jesus to you? How beautiful is Jesus to you? Have you been captivated by Christ? You know, what's amazing also is the fact that Jesus' reply to the blind man in verse 3 is the exact opposite reply of the Pharisees in verse 34. Here's what Jesus says. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Here's verse 34. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. The Pharisees looked upon this man's situation and they concluded that he was unfit to proclaim the glory of God. Jesus looks at this man's situation and says, This guy has been uniquely created to declare my glory. The Pharisees discredit this man because he's blind. Jesus says, This guy could be blind. This guy is blind because his life is a platform for praise. Praise. The world looks upon the misfortunes of others and says they are disqualified from the blessings of God. Jesus looks upon the misfortunes of others and says, you have an opportunity to tell people about me. God will afflict his people in order to show his glory in his people. One of the, one of the most fundamental differences between Abhi, who's who's blind, and now Abhi, who sees the light, is Blind Abbey and light-seeing Abbey are still afflicted. See, I'm changed. My life is still hard. The difference is old Abbey blames somebody and new Abbey thanks God for the things that I have. The difference is that old Abbey was afflicted and I became bitter, new Abbey was afflicted, and I thanked God for my afflictions. Do you thank God for the hard times in your life? Do you thank God for the challenges He brings upon you? Do you thank God for the obstacles that you have in your marriage? Do you thank God for the times when it's really hard being a parent? Do you thank God when you have really, really, really trying, patient times with your in-laws? I know, I guess people go, he's talking to me now. It is very possible that this man could have been healed and and seen and no longer been blind, and he walked away not worshiping Jesus. And if that had been the case, this man's life would have been an utter... The miraculous story would have been for nothing. But thankfully, Jesus not only opened his physical eyes, he opened his heart. Verse 39, Jesus says this, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, And those who see may become blind. So Jesus says the reason He came is for two reasons. One, to give spiritual discernment to the people that believe they had none, and to blind those who believe that their own discernment was sufficient. At Haines Creek, we have to see the glory of Jesus not in the way that the world sees Jesus. But that in the way that Jesus sees Jesus. And so this morning I want to challenge Haines Creek. I want everybody to listen. Y'all, listen. All right. We had a great Sunday last week, we had the highest attended service at Haines Creek we've ever had. So I'm glad some of y'all came back. We have a new members class tonight. We have raise your hand if you're becoming a new member of Haynes Creek. All right, here we go. I want to challenge Haynes Creek to grow in the relationships with these people, and here's why: if you believe that the mission of the church is to grow. But you have not made a point to get to know these newer couples in our church or to disciple them. It may be that you're still blind to the mission and the purpose of Jesus. If Jesus measured growth sheerly in terms of numbers and not in terms of disciples, he would have had no reason to spend his time with a blind man and rebuking those who were in power. Are we making time for the new people at our church, or are we just trying to get numbers? Are we making disciples, or are we growing a business? Jesus came so that we would not see the church the way the world sees the church. We want to see the church the way that Jesus sees the church. And that's very hard to do, because we live in a very numbers-oriented world. And I don't think that numbers are bad. But if we start defining the church instead of in terms of numbers and not in terms of who's discipling who, we're blind to the glory of Jesus Christ. I really believe that verse 41 is meant for the church. Here we go. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Jesus is speaking to us. We see. Judgment begins in the household of God, Haines Creek. We are held to a higher standard. If we claim Jesus as Savior, we should be praying every single day, God, give us good vision. We should be praying the prayer of Moses in this church every single day. Lord, show me Your glory. This morning I want to challenge you and I want to invite you. If your view of faith and holiness in church has begun to look less like the teachings of Jesus and more like the world, you need to put your glasses back on. Because in the kingdom of God, affliction can be a good thing. People can be physically blind and see better than everyone else. And the picture of love and glory and faithfulness and obedience looks like a cross. Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Can you look upon the picture of a crucified Jesus with a crown of thorns, shedding His blood for your sins, and go, that's my vision. That's where I find my light. The cure for blindness in this world is believing that Jesus Christ took upon Himself the penalty for your sins so that you could live forever with the Father. That is how you see clearly in this world. So this morning I invite you to place your faith in Jesus because there's a lot of us who have our eyes open but we're still blind. And I go back to Matthew in my homeroom class and I'm like, I think that guy saw better than all of us. The church doesn't look like a business. And disciples don't look like other people. They look like Jesus. So I want everyone to bow your heads. And I'm going to pray a prayer for this church. Father, if there be anyone here this morning that does not know Your Son Jesus, I plead and plead for You that they would come forth and that they would receive Jesus for salvation. Father, I also pray that You give us eyes to see at this church. Because our numerical growth will come You're bringing people now. But Father, we want to grow in the right way. We want to see the world in the right way. We want to see ourselves in the right way. We want to see the church in the right way. And that begins with seeing Your Son Jesus in the right way, and that is on a cross. Father, I pray that the future of Haines Creek would never be without the Gospel. And I pray that Jesus would be our vision. And all these things we ask in Your precious Son's name. Amen.